I would suggest not going before the Lord with the works of the law. Paul says no flesh is justified that way. That's how most go, isn't it? Most people go before the Lord through the works of the law. Well, Lord, this is what I do or what I haven't done, and that's how they look at their righteousness. That's how they go before God. I pray that we don't go before God that way. Titus chapter 1, I'll read a scripture there. Titus 1, verse 16, it's on page 1307 in the Schofield Bibles. Titus 1, 16 says, They profess that they know God. There are a lot of people that profess to, to know God. There are a lot of people that profess to be Christians. There's a lot that profess to be atheists in this day and age also. But there's a lot that they profess that they know God. Do they really? Says they profess that they know God in verse 16, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient to every good work reprobate. So here's some that they, they profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him, just like the atheists deny him. Well, there are many that, that profess they know God, but they deny him in the works. So what I'm saying is, don't bef go before God with your works. No flesh shall be justified in this manner. And in the uh, uh, third chapter here of Titus, in, in verse uh, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So here it tells us, no, it's, it's not by the works of righteousness that we've done. Although that's how most people go before him. With what shall we go before the Lord? Our works? The works of our righteousness? Absolutely not. In works they deny him. So it says that uh, you don't come through the works of our righteousness, but according to his mercy. So do we come through our righteousness? Well, we already answered that. We don't come through our righteousness. But again, that's how most people come before God. We know, well, you say, well, what's the bad about that? Well, is it, first of all, is it good enough? Is it acceptable? You remember, uh, well, Brother Chuck, uh, if he had read two or three more verses there, uh, it says uh, that our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Your righteousness must exceed. So we need to know a couple things there to see if that's enough or not, don't we? So, you know, I don't like gray area. have a lot of it, but don't like gray area. Boy, show me the line, you know. Well, this, this gives us a line. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So if you're on this side of it, you didn't exceed. If you're on this side of it, then you did exceed. But now, where's the line? Pretty important that we might know this. Where's the line? What, what mark do I have to hit to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? We can guess. 
we could say, well, as long as you do the best you can, well, is the best you can, does it exceed this? Well, we can read of a Pharisee, and his name was uh, Saul of Tarshish. He tells us in the third chapter of Philippians, he says, touching righteousness, which is in the law, is that I was blameless. So, it's either true or it's not true. If it's true, believe it's not, tear it out. But he says, touching righteousness, which is in law, is that I was blameless. So, that's the mark. That's the line. He says, touching righteousness, which is in law, is that I was blameless. So, now, uh, in a little far there, and where Chuck was, was reading, said that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, here's one that Helen said he was touching righteousness and the law said I was blameless. So, can you exceed that? He said you must, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Can you, can you exceed that? He said I was blameless. Isaiah said, we're all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. So can you exceed the righteousness of the, the Pharisees that said, hey, touching righteousness which the law said I'm blameless. Can you exceed that? Do you go before him in, in this manner? You say, well, as long as you're sincere. Boy, I haven't seen that in the scriptures anywhere. <laughs> I haven't seen that anywhere. As long as you do the best you can do. Haven't seen that as being acceptable. Now, what is our best? Uh, Psalms 39.5, I believe it is. Man, his best state. That's important to know, isn't it? Okay, what, what are we in our best state? It says, man, his best, best state is all the other vanity. Well, that's not very encouraging, <laughs> Clara May. Uh, it's not very encouraging. My best state is vanity. So I, I'm not going to do better than that. I, I, can't, I can't do better than my best, and even that is it's nothing. It's vanity. I can't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees through my works and so forth. Can't do that either. So then, that kind of brings us back to our lesson again with what shall I go before the Lord? Do I go with my best, as Cain did? Do I go through the works of the law, being sincere and the best I can do? But, you know, if I'm going to do that, I, 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 know, I know before I go, my righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I know we can read of Pharisees that touching righteousness, which is lost, and I was blameless. And I'm not going, if I go that way, I'm not going to meet the standard. I have to exceed that. So how do we go then? How do you go before the Lord? With what shall I, with what shall I come before the Lord? Well, not with, uh, not with animals, apparently. Not with the blood of bulls and goats and rams and the oil and so forth. We don't go that way. What about the firstborn? It says, it says, uh, shall I give my firstborn? So would we go that way? She said, well, that would show sincerity. Uh, let me just mention about the firstborn just a second, and then we'll go on here. Why wouldn't we offer the firstborn? 
He said, well, it's obvious you just wouldn't. Well, no, why? I mean, I, I, it mentions it here. It asks a question. I think it's worthy of, of, of discussion. He said, well, it's, it's foolish. You shouldn't even discuss it. Well, it's in here. And it asks it ask us a question. Would that be good enough? Well, on one respect, you think, well, it'd be better than the, the bulls and the goats and the calves and things like that. But you, would, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't kill uh, the firstborn. You wouldn't offer that to God. But my answer is why? You say, well, it's obvious. You, just because. I don't like the answer just because. Why wouldn't you do that? And if you did, why wouldn't it be acceptable? I'm not saying what you did, but the sacrifice itself. Would the sacrifice... Now, let's forget about your actions for a moment. The sacrifice of the firstborn, would that be acceptable? Bulls and goats. Here I have a, a, a very pretty silver-plated uh, flash drive for my uh, niece and her new husband that I always cherish. But God... If you come before him with blood of bulls and goats, lambs, all, your firstborn, how would he look upon it? How would he look upon your firstborn? Have a little baby. How would he look upon it as a sacrifice? Not how would he look on you? How would he look on the firstborn? And we don't have time to, uh, to go back into it this morning. I just wanted to mention it, though. And no... God wouldn't be pleased with you offering your firstborn. But why, again, is the question. <clears throat> we would need to go back, and we won't, but back in Exodus and actually a couple places back there. See, God tells them every male that opens the womb is his. They were to sacrifice it unto the Lord. But there were some exceptions. And the exceptions were these unclean beasts, you don't offer that to the Lord. Claire, man, we wouldn't offer anything unclean to the Lord. So the, uh, the horses and the donkeys and the, and the jackass and the swine and things like that, the firstborn, you wouldn't offer that to the Lord. We can understand because it's an un, it's, he had classified an unclean thing. You would never offer anything unclean to the Lord. And if they wanted to, to save that unclean beast from destruction... They had to redeem it for a lamb. They had to take a lamb and kill a lamb instead if they wanted to save the life of this unclean beast, the firstborn that opened the womb. They had to kill a lamb instead. And we can understand that, I, th I think, somewhat. You wouldn't offer anything unclean to God. We can understand that. Although he gave his commandment, every male that opens the womb, it's mine. You sacrifice it to me. But we can understand what well, you know, these unclean things, you wouldn't offer that to God, so you would substitute a, a lamb to redeem it. But he goes on and says something else there. And he says, their children, the firstborn male of theirs, their offspring that opens up a womb. What does he say about that? Well, he tells them they would redeem it with a lamb. But my question is why? Well, just because you wouldn't kill a baby. Well, if you did, would it be good enough? 
Was the unclean beast good enough? He said, well, no, it's unclean. And my point is, so is the baby. See, we're all descendants of Adam. Isaiah said we're, we're all. He didn't say after we're 12 years old, we're all an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are filthy rags. We've been studying in Psalms uh, 51, I believe it is, isn't it? David says, uh, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He was a sinner from conception because he was the sin of Adam. We're an unclean thing because we come from fallen race. We come from Adam. So this baby, firstborn male, would not be, it would not be acceptable to God. Not because it's a little baby and this and that. It's unclean. Like the beast were unclean. And, of course, that's all type and shadows teaching us other things. So, in our text, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Again, what do you go, when you go before God, how should we go? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Ask a lot of questions there, doesn't it? And we know the answer is no to all of them. Well, what, what is the answer then? Verse 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. So... Here's some things it says. Here's some things it says. Now, this is not the way, but this is the way. So then how do you go before the Lord? How should you go before the Lord? Justly, uh, love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Now, when we go, and I'm just going to have just a couple minutes to touch on each of these. But if the Lord causes us to... to, to uh, uh, to do justly, then that would automatically cause us to love mercy and to walk humbly. These kind of all go together. If, we, uh, uh, if he calls us to do justly or to walk justly or to do justly or, or to look at things justly or rightly, then I guarantee you, you're going to love mercy and you're going to walk humbly before God. Well, what about justly? It means, justly means judgment. The act of judging uh, is what it's talking about. So how do, you, how do we look at judgment, justly? If there was justice, well, Romans, the fifth chapter, and I don't think I'll go there, but it tells us, that through the disobedience of one, that we were all made sinners. Death and sin reigned on all. So because of Adam, death and sin reigned on every one of us. Not after you're 12 years old, at conception when you receive the, the, the uh, when you were conceived, you're a sinner in Adam. You was already planned before the foundation of the world, but that's what you were. Now, you're a sinner in Adam, and after you're conceived, 
After you're born, then you will continue in sin because you're a sinner in Adam. So what do you deserve? Well, the penalty of sin is what we deserve because we're sinners. That's justice. That's justly. And we need, to, we need to walk and be aware of what we are. That's what we are. That's what we deserve. That's what judgment would require, proper judgment would require. Now, our whole question is how do we come before God? Well, that's one of the ways. That's, that's what we deserve. That's what we are. And then after that, though, then it says, uh, uh, but to do justly and, and, and love mercy and, and walk humbly. So walk humbly. What does that have to do with this? Well, those, let me go to Psalms 12. And again, I'm going a better kind of hurry here. Uh, Psalms chapter 12. Let's look at humbly just a minute. Because again, this is how you are to go before God. There's ways not to go before God. And there are ways to go before God. And, and uh, being sincere and all that stuff won't work. God has a specific way. Again, you remember the ones that just offered a strange fire and they were killed. It was not acceptable. So one of the ways our text says to come before him is to walk humbly. You say, well, okay, yeah, we, you know, we, uh, I know what that means. You walk humbly. You're not, you're not proud and, and you dress a certain manner. You don't wear flashly, flashy collars and, and, uh, and you wouldn't wear any jewelry and you wear your hair a certain way and you would walk very humble and everything. That's, that's what it means, isn't it? No, that's not what it means. So how do we walk humbly before him? Well, let me, let's look at the opposite. How would you walk in pride before him? Pride is the opposite of, of, of humble, isn't it? So let's look at how you would walk before him in pride, and you would say, okay, that's not the way, so humbly would be another way. So Psalms 12, we'll look at pride here a minute, and verse um, 3 and 4. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. So here's proud and pride, and this is not how you come before the Lord. And we're going to, it's going to tell us what this is. You say, you don't go before the Lord with, with proud lips. But we need to know, what. okay, what is that? Verse 4. Who has said with our tongue, we will prevail, our, our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? There's your proud, and that's not humble. Well, what are they saying is, they're saying, there's no Lord over us. And what does that mean to us in this day and age? Do you hear people saying that? Not in those words, do you? But you talk to somebody, we discussed it here, I don't know if it was Wednesday night or after services recently. And Chuck, and I think probably every, most of us here have talked to people and give them the truth of God's word, and they say, well, we're not a puppet on the string. What you're teaching, we would just be a puppet on the string. And I said, well, we're wireless now, God. <laughs> you don't see it, we're wireless. 
But that would make, if, if what you're saying that God was a sovereign, God was in control of all things, and God had preordained all things, then we're just a puppet on a string. There's no one, what they're saying is, God is not controlling our every move. God is not predetermined from old and predestinated everything down through here. We would just be a puppet on a string. God doesn't control us that way. We're free moral agents. We do as we please and we do as we choose. Does that sound a little bit like what this says? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? And Georgiana, that's what they're saying. There's, Lord, is a, the Lord here means sovereign, supreme ruler. And they say, there's no one like that. Oh, they'll say there's a God, but in their works they deny that there is a God. But they say, no, there's no one controlling your every move. There's no one controlling your thoughts. You're, you're a free moral agent. Well, see, that's, that's the pride. And you don't go before God that way. Go before him humbly. Thank you, Lord, for guiding my steps. Because, and why would we be thankful that he's guiding our steps? I, you know, I'm not happy in, my, in myself. I'm not happy with every particular step. I should be, but I'm not. But why should we be happy that the Lord is guiding our every move and our every steps? Because he told us that all things work together for good. To them love God, them are called according to his purpose. Robin, I don't know what my steps are going to be tomorrow. But I know somehow, some way, it's working together for good. I might not be able to tell you tomorrow. I might not be able to tell you until I get in glory. And maybe I may be able to tell you, I don't know. But I know that it's true. But if I tell you, hey, I'm a free moral agent, God has no control over me, I can do as I choose, that's proud and that's not humble. And to go before God that way is not acceptable. Uh, <clears throat> Daniel, you remember when Daniel, and we don't have time to go read it, Daniel saw a vision of the Lord, and it's interesting uh, what he saw, but he saw a vision of the Lord. And when he saw it, he, he made a statement. He says, and I retained no strength. So have you seen the Lord? Do you know the Lord? I realize you said, so, well, I saw pictures of Jesus. <laughs> we may saw pictures. <laughs> uh, we don't have pictures of Jesus, but as far as God. I don't know why we haven't seen him physically, but do you know God? Have you seen God, so to speak? Have you seen him through the eye of faith, even? Well, here's kind of a kind of a test. If you've seen the true God, you will retain no strength. That's what Daniel said. He says, when he saw it vision, he said, oh, I've retained no strength. And he said, my comeliness turned in, into corruption. The thing that he thought was really good, it's all that just turned into corruption. So whenever you see the true Lord, when the, let me state it this way, when the Lord reveals himself unto you, you're going to retain no strength. You're no longer going to say, well, I'm doing the best I can, or if I do this, I'll make it. If I do enough works, I'll make it. If I make the right choices, I'll make it. If I'm good enough, if I repent, I'll do all this, I'll make it. See, that's retaining strength. When the Lord reveals himself unto you, you retain no strength. 
you'll realize that you were a sinner of Adam and you depend upon his mercy. And then you're walking humbly. So, well, Lord, I, I can't make it on my own. So we don't go before him in, in, in pride. Lord, I used to do this, but now I'm this good person. Lord, I, I'm going to make the right choices. Lord, I promise I'll do this. So you're retaining strength. Don't go before him that way. Go humbly. Uh, Hebrew says, uh, we go before him, says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We don't offer literal bulls and goats. We give thanks to his name. Why? Because he's in control of all things. And uh, lastly here, but not least, leave it, let me just mention mercy because that's, that's what it says. It says, uh, with what shall I come before him? It said, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and, and what uh, doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. So, we, we looked at the justly, we looked at the walking humbly, and it says to love mercy. Well, if you look at justice, if you look at what we are and what we deserve, then, oh, don't you just love mercy? <laughs> because, see, justice would condemn us from eternal separation from God. But God's mercy will spend eternity with him through God's mercy. So don't you love mercy? I'll never forget Brother Olson on Wednesday night when he was teaching in Psalms 136, I believe it is. And I forget how many verses in there, but I think almost every verse says, For his mercy endureth forever. And Robin, he would read, I don't know, it seemed like it's 25 verses, 26, something like that. And, and uh, Olson didn't cover a lot of territory each time. He maybe get one verse, maybe two, maybe not even get a whole verse, Jerry. We may spend a couple weeks on one verse. But Jerry, he'd, he'd read the whole thing every time. And I remember my first thoughts were, well, you know, why is he reading the whole thing? Because every verse, for his mercy endureth forever. And he'd say a line, and his mercy endureth forever. And he'd say another line, his mercy endureth forever. Why, more, why did he do that? Why did he keep repeating the same thing, reading it'd be a verse, and then uh, for his mercy endureth forever. And another line, his mercy endureth forever. Why did he do that? Because he loved mercy. And the psalmist apparently loved mercy. And I thank the Lord now that he's caused us to love mercy. So, with what shall I come before the Lord? Not with all these other things. You, uh, you walk justly. You know what you are. And because you know what you are, you love God's mercy. And you're thankful that doors forever. And then we walk humbly, knowing he's in control. That's how we go before him. If we go before him in any pride or any other manner, that's not an acceptable way. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. Dismissed.